You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome to A Step Further, weekly podcast of Kingsway Christian Church. My name is Andy Lynch, Connections Pastor here at Kingsway. we got a treat for you over the next month or so as we take a step further, our series Asking for a Friend. And so whatever you hear on Sunday, we just kicked it off this past Sunday with What Happens When I Die. Whatever you hear on Sunday, we're going to take an extra step and go on a little tangent. Pastor Matt does a great job consuming so much material. And so we want to pass some of that on to you as well and has lots of thoughts on all these different topics. So today uh, we're going to take a look at what hell might be like. And then later on in the series in the podcast, we'll we'll dive into heaven as well. So that's a little teaser that you got to stick around for in the coming weeks. Uh, we'll talk about heaven. But this week, it's hell. Boy, nothing like a, a half hour with hell, Matt. You know, uh, you ever see that meme, Andy, where it says something like, comma, save lives. And then it says, let's eat, comma, grandma. And then the next yeah. one ever says, let's eat grandma. <laughs> I use that with my kids. My oldest son gets it. He thinks it's hilarious. Well, when I was a student pastor, I wanted to create a t-shirt. And on the back, it would say, hell, comma, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on the front, it would say, it's real. And so I just thought I was like, you know, being like, hell, yeah, it's real. And, uh, but on the back, it'd say, hell yeah. And on the front, it'd say, it's real. And so anyway, I just thought like, this would be good. And then I thought, I'm never gonna be able to sell this to my leadership at my last church. So I just <laughs> let the idea go. But I thought, what a cool concept for a t-shirt. So and it was for today. It was for this podcast it that you was. came up with that idea. It's abso- <laughs> right. And then Andy pointed out as I was sharing that story, he's like, you know, if you read it from the front to the back, it'd say, it's real. Hell yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that wouldn't work. That doesn't work. It does, I don't want to talk about it. That's part of the reason why I never thought leadership would go for it. So yes, hell is real. It's not popular. Nobody wants to talk about it, but Jesus does. He does. He talks about it a lot. And I, I remember being scared of it as a kid growing up. And my brother one day, he said, it's, it's, it's a place. It's like Chicago. And, <laughs> and I thought it was funny. He called it Chicago, but, but it is, it's a, it's a place. It's real. Like you said, Jesus talks about it. And so what's the benefit, Matt, for us knowing about hell? Yeah, well, first of all, I probably would have said it's probably more like Cleveland since that's something I'm closer that's to. That's what I, I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> You're a Pittsburgh fan. Shut up. Anyway. I'm surprised you said that. <laughs> well, uh, why is it important? Why does Jesus talk about it? Psychologists today will tell us that a positive reward is actually more powerful than a negative reward. Mm. And I agree with him. I, I actually think they're right. But there is a time and a place for a... a you know, a consequence and to understand the way that consequence can help bring about change and lasting change. So from a standpoint of why do we need to talk about it today is because we need to understand what is hanging in the balance. But the reason for hell is because God is infinitely holy and infinitely just, and uh, he's also infinitely merciful and infinitely gracious and all these infinites have to make sense in some way or another. So Again, we don't have time to talk about everything, but just to wrap your head for a minute around why is a hell even necessary? If God is infinitely just, then that means that everything done wrong in this world must be held accountable. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's easy. Nobody, nobody listening, I would imagine, thinks that, say, Adolf Hitler should be able to be in heaven uh, for what he has done. We all agree he did a, a terrible, terrible, terrible evil and suffering in the world. Nobody sits there and goes, I think that guy ought to get a free pass. 
In fact, everybody goes, no, that guy needs held accountable. Yeah, and that was made for somebody. It's Adolf Exactly. He's the guy, right? Or you could throw some other names out there. Saddam Hussein or whoever, sure. whoever you think in your mind. It's fine. Whoever you pick. But the point is you're picking somebody you think belongs there or deserves that. But because God is infinitely holy, that means he's really not like us. Holiness isn't just about purity of action. Holiness is about the fact that God is really not like us at all. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't process the world like we do. You know, man judges the outside. God judges the heart. That's part of his holiness. You know, man struggles to forgive. God is infinitely forgiving. But the whole point is his justice requires action. And so we look at everybody else like, well, that guy's evil. That guy's good. My family, we're good. That family over there, they're evil. And God says, no, here's the thing. You're all evil because you're all sinners. That's why Jesus is approached at one point. He says, you know, good teacher, says this man to Jesus. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And the implication of what he's saying is you're onto something there, buddy. You're, you're getting close to something. You're not good, but I am, right? You're, but do you understand what you're saying? Do you really get it? So anyway, that's important because uh, when we talk about heaven, which again, if you keep listening to these podcasts, you'll get there. When you talk about heaven, heaven is a reward. Jesus says, I read uh, in the heaven podcast, we'll cover this, but you have to start here. John 17, verse three, Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So to have eternal life is to have God himself. So then what is the opposite of that? Yeah. Is it hellfire and brimstones or is it just life without God? Exactly. I think C.S. Lewis has really done a good job of contemplating this, exploring this, thinking about this. But the, the concept of hell being a place that I choose for myself, the, when I choose it is here. I'm, I'm choosing a life apart from God. And basically for eternity, God says, okay, have it. So if in heaven, we read in Revelation uh, 21, I think it is, maybe 22, that heaven is a place where God wipes away our tears and there's uh, the trees from the fruit, uh, the fruit from the trees of life will heal the nations. There'll be no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain. And there's no more chaotic waters and <clears throat> life is the presence of God is there. And so everything is perfect again. Hell would be the complete opposite. God's presence is not there. So there is no one and nothing restraining evil. Evil is allowed to go full bore. So whatever evil wants to do, it just does it. Matt, that makes sense. Yeah, that's scary. It's terrifying. You don't want to be around a place where selfish intentions are ruling. All the time. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is where there's a lot of, I'm going to, we'll read some passages. We'll talk about what we do know, but there's a lot of things we don't know. But if you think about, again, if you just get into the, let your brain go and just imagine, just dream for a minute about what this would look like. Imagine there being a nation on the earth today, uh, say with an evil dictator, but the God is, there are no Christians. There are no, there's no morality. There's no law. There's nobody to rein it in. There's no police holding people accountable. So whatever the worst of the worst is, the, the thieves, the, 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 the robbers, the liars, the um, cheaters, the stealers, the, the rapists, the murderers, the kidnappers, all the worst of the worst of the worst, there's nothing to restrain the evil. So if heaven is a place where we're fully alive and heaven is a place where we have jobs and we work, uh, imagine hell then as a place where people may be fully alive, but there's nothing restraining how things go. Do I know that for certain? No. In fact, let's talk about some passages, but you yeah. look like you were to say no, something. No, let's dive into that. So let's start here. Um, in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel speaks of the end 
And there's a lot, literally scholars debate what's Daniel saying and what's it mean. So I'm not even getting into that. But in verse two, he says this, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Mm. So those two powerful, those passages are both powerful. Excuse me. I've said this before. We use shame in America today different than the Bible does. And it's an important distinction because if you've ever heard me teach on shame or if you've ever heard American psychologists like Brene Brown teach on shame, I do think she's on to something. But we have to be careful because Bible scholars are translating the words the best they know how in an English language. And we're at the precipice of the word changing. But the word shame in the Bible uh, constantly means like this. uh, I, I think of ashamed, like I feel bad about something I've done. I actually have that gross sense. You ever do something you know is evil? And even if you've not confessed it, like you just, your body is wasting away. It's the way David speaks of like his sin when he knew he was sinning and it hasn't been confessed yet. His bones were wasting away within him. Imagine feeling that for eternity and everlasting contempt. So this sorrow, profound sorrow over what I've done or where I am or why didn't I? And if only, and I can't believe I didn't choose Christ when I had the chance. Does that make sense? Misery comes to mind. I mean, uh, never ending misery. That's exactly the way that Jesus describes it. In fact, uh, Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. um, And and without going, reading the whole story too, he he uses a man, um, name, uh, was it Lazarus, mm-hmm. a beggar named Lazarus, yep. and then uh, a, a rich man. And in the story, the man named Lazarus, don't confuse him with Jesus' friend Lazarus, who's died and raised from the dead. It's just a popular name in his day. But Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom. He goes into what we would call paradise, as I talked about in my sermon. He goes into that place, and so he's with God. And then the rich man who treated the poor poorly here on earth, he is separated from God. And when he's there, he's just suffering tremendously. And uh, in verse 27 of Luke 16, he says, um, he answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. So here we see this rich man separated from God. Jesus says there's a chasm fixed there that cannot be crossed. You cannot go from one side to the other. And then he is saying, please go back and tell my family. And, and the answer is no. And in fact, Abraham actually replies, even if a man raised from the dead, they won't believe. And, and there's a reason Jesus is saying that, right? There's always a reason to his stories. He's saying, look, I'm going to die on the cross and raise the dead. I'm going to give them the greatest reason ever to believe. And they're still not going to believe. So it really wouldn't matter if I came back from the dead. They wouldn't trust me. Do you think Jesus is actually giving us a glimpse? of the afterlife? I do think this is where I always want to be careful. Uh, Again, scholars line up in different places. But what I would say is let's not press Jesus's parables beyond their intended purpose. So what I would say though, is once you die in the same way that there's a chasm fixed between here and there, Mm -hmm. between what we will call Hades and paradise, there's a chasm fixed. You can't cross from one to the other. That's why I'm not a fan of purgatory. I don't believe in that. Um, It's fixed. Your last chance to make a right decision is here and now. Does that make sense? Yeah. So even though your final judgment hasn't come, it's already set up for you. Right. Does that make sense? Right. All right. So then, I mean, he, he, you see this idea that there's some sort of torment there. Right. Um, whatever exactly is happening, he's alive, Right. He's not literally dying for eternity and he comes back to life and he dies. He comes back to life and he dies. So when the Bible speaks of like an eternal death, an eternal whatever, there's there's something. It's a place of torment, of pain. And that's why if whatever we dream and picture for eternal life, 
I, in my head, I go, well, then I would imagine the opposite is true. It's not, it's not eternal death. It's an existence. Right. Eternally separated from God. Right. A place, Revelation says, made for Satan and his demons, made for the beast and the Antichrist and Revelation, literally. So wow. all these things are thrown there, and those who are separate from God will be thrown there as well. So physical death is better. I mean, you'd rather just be done, right? Instead of have to suffer endlessly without God. And I will say, uh, I am, I do not personally believe in something called annihilationism, mm -hmm. but that's where that comes from. Yeah. What you just discussed that there are these passages that talk about being burned up. And so there are some Christians who believe that, um, a good God would not punish us for eternity. So therefore those who die in annihilationism, they will be annihilated. They will be completely after the judgment day, there will be great sorrow and grief because they'll realize what they gave up, but they will completely be like, just disappear for all eternity. They won't exist anymore. And then a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I would say, I don't see that as an anti-Christian view. I don't think people who believe that are heretics, but I, I, there are two or three passages. I listened to an entire teaching on annihilationism and the guy teaching on it went, now these two or three passages, I don't know what to do with. And, and I would say, anytime you come to a passage, you don't know what to do with, you can't just toss it out and say, well, but in light of these other six, right, right. It, you have to say, I have to change my view to adopt those two or three passages into right. what I believe. And you can't get past it. The same passage of Revelation that tells us there will be eternal life is the same passage that talks about eternal torment. Well, I can't have eternal life in one verse and eternal torment in the other, but the eternal torment is a temporary annihilation, but it's not in the other. Right. So if it's eternal in one direction and eternal in the other, and it's the same passage, I have to think of both equal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great concept for studying the Bible. So uh, let me just cover a couple, one more passage, and then I want to get to something that Jesus, an analogy, and then we'll look, we'll actually look at what these passages of Revelation. But in Matthew chapter three, this is John the baptizer. He's coming along and he's promoting Jesus, pushing everybody to Jesus. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So again, this, this analogy of fire comes up over and over and over again. Do I believe that hell will be a literal place of fire? And the answer is, I don't know. I, I don't know. But there are so many passages of Revelation and Jesus' parables here in Matthew 3 that use the idea of fire, unquenchable fire. And we'll get to this in just a second because I want to unpack what John is saying. But do I believe it is a literal fire? I don't know. I don't know. It's at least symbolism. But remember, symbolism, the point of symbolism is to paint a picture of reality that is far worse than the best symbol we can create. Mm. So whatever exactly hell is, it ain't going to be fun. Right. The idea here is it's unquenchable fire. So if you're, you know, you're into farming, I'm not, but I've read articles on this thing. You know, you've got literally, they've got these winnowing forks and they take the wheat and they literally like shake it back and forth and, and kind of toss it up in the air and the wind literally blows the chaff away. Okay. And the wheat, the good stuff, stays behind, which also is a phenomenal thought, by the way, when you start thinking about eternity, where's eternity going to be? Who's going to be raptured? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and when Jesus says, it'll be like the days of Noah. Well, in the days of Noah, who was removed and who stayed behind? The yeah. evil were removed and the good stayed behind. We tend to think God's going to take the good away and the evil are going to stay, but I tend to think it's the opposite. The right. evil are going to be removed. The good are going to be saved. It's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, but earth will look something like this. That's more like in our heaven conversation. So staying <laughs> focused here for a minute. Unquenchable fire. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus uses a word that we translate hell, but it's not the word he translates. It's the word Gehenna. 
Have you heard of this before, Andy? I don't yes, know. Yes. Okay. So if you go back and, and I'm going to do a lot of one, two, skip a few, like I don't have time to read these passages, but Gehenna is a literal valley, stands for the Valley of Hinnom. And uh, that's where in Greek is like the Valley of Hinnom. And in, and as we transliterate in English, it comes out as Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place where unspeakable evil happened throughout Israel's history. So God literally told the Israelites not to worship the God Molech, but the Israelites did it anyway. And they sacrificed their children. They're literally sacrificed. This is one of the reasons I hate, hate, hate abortion. I understand some of our listeners may not agree with the Bible's teaching on this, but these are God's children. They're not my children. Like I don't get to choose what happens with them. And God um, tells the Israelites he's going to punish them for literally sacrificing their children to the God, false God, Molech. And he punishes Judah because of this. Well, over time, things change a little bit in the valley, but then some uh, really bad, uh, sinful things happen in the valley. And then over time, it becomes a trash dump where literally they would take out the, the refuse from the city and burn it in the valley of Hinnom. And so there would literally be this like trash dump that they would light a fire and burn things up and just burn it and burn it and burn it. And oh, they, they speak of the smell in ancient Greek and stuff like talking just smell was terrible. And there would be worms and maggots all over because it's just, you know, all the refuse of the city is there and all the junk, you know, they didn't have the kind of trash stuff that we have today to get rid of things and deal with things that, oh, just smelled terrible. And there, and so when Jesus sometimes tells stories, like I think it's in Mark 9 and other places about, um, you know, the, the worms cannot be destroyed and the maggots, you know, are not destroyed and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's, he's literally using the word Gehenna there to give you this visual image that he's not saying you will literally go into that valley and right. burn in that fire. He's trying to, everybody in his day knows, oh, that valley where evil, terrible things happened. That's what hell will be like. Yeah. That valley where, you remember how when you go out there, the smell is terrible? That's what it'll be like. So it, again, think of the complete opposite of heaven. The presence of God, things are beautiful and restored and renewed and nothing, there's no more fear. And there's no more anxiety. There's nothing to worry about. Hell will be the exact opposite. It'll be terrible, terrible suffering. Well, is the suffering coming because God's not there and evil people are doing evil things? Maybe. Or is the suffering coming because there's a literal fire where we burn eternally? I, I don't know. I just know God's presence will not be there in the sense of him renewing and restoring. It's a place back then they didn't want to go. They're not going to go to. And Jesus is saying, you don't want to go there. Right. Yeah. So when we get to Revelation, and again, Revelation is highly, highly, highly symbolic. That's the way that I read it. That's the camp that I fall into. Mm -hmm. There are literal things, but most of the things we read are intended to paint a picture. Revelation chapter 20, it says this in verse 10. And the devil who deceived the people was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be, this is again, Satan and his minions, um, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So before we read anything else, we're now at judgment day, the, what we call the great white throne judgment. And Jesus is there and he's going to be our judge. And we've already got Satan and, you know, his minions are thrown into this lake of fire, the lake of burning sulfur, and the books are opened. And then it says a verse, uh, where was it? Verse 12, like people are judged. If your name is in the book of life, you're going to be with Christ forever. 13 though, verse 13 of chapter 20. The sea gave up the dead. So now those who are already dead will be judged. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Hmm. And each person was judged according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were also thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So, Again, if an annihilationist would read this and say, well, look, everything is burned up. Everything is removed. It's just, just, you know, there's nothing evil left. I don't land there. um, But what we definitely see is the good are sent to a place to be with God and reign with him forever. And those who have not accepted Jesus Christ, their 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 name was not written in the book of life. They are sent to another place. And the concept over and over again is burning and sulfur and fire and what we get from that is 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 pain yeah torment. torment yeah so what exactly will hell look like i don't know everything but i know it looks like eternal separation from god mm. no more it, paul talks about the spirit those who have holy spirit god is in you restraining your flesh right there's a war in your soul mm. well imagine a place where the spirit is not restraining the flesh anymore yeah. Yeah. Did, did Jesus, when he spoke of hell, did he use it as motivation for people or was it more, he just wanted you to know what, what's coming? I, I had a phenomenal question, Andy. One I have actually thought about a lot. You're not catching me off guard. I guess in humility, I have to say, I don't know. And that's okay. Yeah. If, do we have a little bit more time for me to just do one more chapter? Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. So, the Matthew chapter 25, this dawned on me years ago. Years ago, I preached on this and I was studying it and it was like, it's really hard to cover a chapter like Matthew 25. There's so much meat in it. It's like, how do you cover? So if it was hard to cover it 35 minutes, imagine me trying to cover it now in three, but I'm going to. Yes. There are three stories and each story tells us something different. I'm going to summarize the story, but then read how it concludes because it gives us a picture to your answer. I think you asked a great question. So the first story is there are 10 virgins. And some are ready and some are not ready. And the analogy is that they have a burning lamp. And the way that would work is oil. Well, the ones who weren't ready, they ran out of oil. The ones who were ready had enough oil. And so the whole point of the analogy is keep yourselves morally pure. You do not know the day or the hour Jesus will return. So don't run out of oil. Mm -hmm. Don't lose sight of the end game. Jesus didn't save you just so you could do whatever you wanted. Jesus saved you to make you his own, to transform your life. But then it says in Matthew 25, 10, but while they were on the way to buy the oil, so the ones who ran out had to go buy some, the bridegroom, that's Jesus, arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Mm. So what do we take away from that? Well, again, Whatever happens in this life is fixed. Why is Jesus saying that? I think he's saying that heaven is far more appealing than hell. But the warning needs to be there as well, right? Like, don't get lazy in your morality. That's the whole point of the story. You could pick pick it apart. Well, I'm a guy. I'm not a girl. Well, I get it. The (laughs) point of the story is not to hyperanalyze the story, but to say, am I keeping my body ready pure morally until Jesus returns? And so, again, there's a motivation in that. Because once the door was shut, it's too late to get yourself ready. That's the whole point of the story. Okay, so then the next story is the parable of the talents. Great story. We've talked about a lot at the church, especially when we're doing a financial series. I want people to think about it. So Jesus hands out talents. Talents is money. Some get five, some get two, some get one, I think is the number. And uh, they're expected to do something with what God gave them. 
And the one servant, he's wicked and he's lazy. He buries his talent to ground. He doesn't do anything with it. The master returns, holds him accountable. And the guy says, you know, as you, as you may know, if you've been at Kingsway for long, he's like, I know you're a hard servant and, you know, you expected me to do something with what you gave me and, and I buried it in the ground. So here it is. I'm giving it back to you. And, and Jesus says, you, you wicked, lazy servant. Like you knew that I was a hard master and you didn't do anything. You should have put it on the bank and at least, at least let the bank give you interest, which would have been nothing back in that day. It's like today. But anyway, <laughs> imagine such a thing. So then it says in Matthew 25, 28 to 30. So take the bag of gold from him, that's the lazy servant, and give it to the one who has 10 bags because the guy who had five doubled it. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And you go, well, Jesus, that's terrible communism. Well, that's not <laughs> at all the point Jesus is making. He's saying, those who have me will have an abundance of me. But those who do not receive me, what I did give them, I will take from them and give to those who can be faithful with what I've given them. Yeah. But what happens to the one wicked and lazy servant? And he closes at verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so again, we see hell, whatever hell is, is a picture of darkness. Yeah. Well, what is heaven? It's light. We're told in Revelation, and you'll hear this in the podcast on heaven, there's a light shining bright. So now hell is separated from the light. It, whatever exactly it is, there will be this, back to, back to Daniel, be this contempt, this grieving, this, why didn't I do something with what God gave me? And why did, why did Jesus give us the negative? Yeah. It's to make us go, man, I, I better be careful that I'm not chasing money. Yeah. I better be careful I'm not accumulating greed and wealth. I better be careful that I become a generous person, partnering with God, doing what he wants me to do on his earth. It's his earth, his life. Are you with me? As a, as a father, you want to set your, your kids up to know the good and the bad. You want them to know what, what their actions yeah. Could, could produce in a good way yes. the joy they can feel or the yes. consequences. And so as a good father, yep. he has given us not a roadmap, but certainly some very clear uh, consequences that could happen. So you think about the first two stories, the ones who were faithful are rewarded. Right. The ones who were not are disciplined. Yeah. The ones who are faithful in the talent, they are given even greater reward and yeah. joy. So the point is, I think it's obvious, right? Would you rather be rewarded? Right. Or would you rather be punished? Like you have a choice. You can focus on heaven or you can focus on hell, <laughs> but which one do you want? And, and I guess just the last one, he, he yeah. separates the sheep and the goats and he says to both, whatever you did to the least of these, you did for me. So whenever you take care of somebody here who wasn't well taken care of, the poor, the hungry, marginalized, you do the same for me and you'll be rewarded according to what you've done. And then it closes in Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or sick or thirsty and all these different things? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Mm. So why does Jesus give us both? It's because whether you're motivated by rewards or whether you're motivated by consequences, the point is take Jesus serious. Yeah. Maybe you're listening at home and you stumbled upon this podcast and you still have questions. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to work through it with you. But I think what I'm getting from today is God, God knows best and he has your best at heart. And so what's stopping you from embracing that? We'd love to talk more.